And now, from the gleaming spires of Chicago, broadcasting across the multiverse, from the heights of Hlidskjalf to the depths of Niflheim, from the MCU to the DCU, from the slopes of Mount Olympus and beyond, you are tuned to the immortal sounds of Radio Free Asgard. And hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 373. We're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin and a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. My name is Tom Harris. Welcome along to the show and a beautiful late spring, almost summer day here in Chicago. Yeah, I kind of really want to be outside rather than recording, but you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do and I'll go outside after I'm done. Anyway, so I hope everybody is doing well out there, staying safe, social distancing, all that fun stuff. Yeah, um... It is what it is, I guess, and there's not a lot we can do about it. So anyway, uh, just hope everybody out there is doing well and staying safe in the current uh, uh, unrest and uh, difficult time that we are in right now. Um, I just want to say on, on behalf of myself that black lives matter. This is not negotiable. Black lives matter. Um, yeah. And if you don't like that, well, yeah, Tough. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so uh, here we are, and uh, we do have an issue of Thor to cover, so let's go ahead and move along to our review. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar, you behold in breathless wonder the god of thunder, mighty Thor. And this time we are looking at the Mighty Thor number 402, dated April of 1989. Cover art is by Ron Friends, inked by Joe Sinnott. Shows Thor, and he is fighting Quicksand, the female Sandman character that we've run into before in this run. And it says, she's back, sadistic, unbeatable, Quicksand. And they're standing in the middle of the street because, you know, that's what Thor does. He stands in the middle of the street. And she is saying, welcome back to Earth, long hair. Now say goodbye forever. And Thor is whipping his hammer around and he's being encroached upon by quicksand. And there's some guy hiding behind him. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be Eric Masterson because that's kind of what Eric Masterson looks like at this point. And then there's a weird sort of werewolf, shadowy figure sort of guy lurking just around the corner of the building. Uh, and of course, this cover is very much in Ron Friends's Kirby-ish style. And there's also a cover blurb saying, also featuring Tales of Asgard. Yeah, so we'll get to that in a moment. So anyway, we open up to the splash page where we have the credits, of course, Words, Pictures, and Plot by Tom DeFalgo and Ron Friends. A little, core, uh, little collaboration going on there. Finished Art is by Joe Sinnott. Lettering is by Michael Heisler. Coloring is Max Scheel. Editing is Ralph Macchio. And we have uh, Thor standing in the middle of the street once again. And he is surrounded by various members of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. This is a carry-on from Avengers number 300, which I believe dropped last month. We have uh, 
Actually, this is a direct swipe from from a Kirby splash, and I, I'm not remembering right offhand where it came from, but uh, it is uh, Thor doing sort of a you know outstretched uh, salute kind of of <laughs> like a Sieg Heiling with it with his left hand, and he's whipping his hammer around on, uh, with his right hand, and uh, we have uh, Gilgamesh and Captain America and Reed Richards and the Invisible Woman. Uh, standing in the background and some other random people looking alarmed by the fact that there's all these superheroes there. And it says here, uh, even an Asgardian can die, being the title of the story. Having recently completed his first adventure with the newly reformed Avengers, the mighty Thor prepares to take his leave. Farewell for now, my friends. Do not hesitate to again call upon the son of Odin if the need should arise, for my enchanted hammer is always at your service. And the Cap is saying, Thor, wait, how can we contact you? Where do we find you? And Reed Richards is saying, Too late, Cap. He can't hear you above that hurricane his mallet is generating. It is <laughs> not really doing a white tornado kind of thing, so I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Anyway, uh, so uh, Thor takes off, and we get, again, the, the, we're getting some direct steals here from Kirby. Thor kind of vaulting across the city, and then we've got buildings that are very much in the Kirby style. Thor takes off into the air, and he's thinking to himself, Reed Richards was wrong. I could hear Captain America, but I had no answers for his questions. Too long have I been away from planet Earth. No longer does Thor have a base on this world, a place to call home. Mayhap, I no longer belong here. Mortal man may have indeed outgrown its need for gods. Perhaps I should have listened to my father Odin, the all-seeing, and remained on Asgard where I could have assumed my rightful. And he all of a sudden has a dizzy spell... And he is trying to land on a building and he misses and he reaches out with his hammer to kind of catch the uh, edge of a, like a little shelf on the, on the building. And he's like, ugh, a sudden wave of nausea has swept over me. So dizzy, can't concentrate, barely managed to stop myself from plunging into the teeming streets below. What could have caused that? What happened to me? Why was I suddenly so weak, so helpless? Could I have been the victim of some unseen attack? Or is it something even more sinister? And we shift scenes and we are in Asgard and we see Asgard floating in Kirby space here. Uh, looks like the bottom of Asgard is kind of crumbling off a little bit, which is strange. Anyway, um, it says, Meanwhile, no longer tethered to the mortal plane by the legendary Rainbow Bridge, Asgard continues to drift deeper, ever deeper into the nether regions of time and space. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. And in the Imperial Throne Room of Lord Odin, the absolute monarch of the Norse gods, uh, we have Odin standing here wearing very John Buscema-ish armor, and we have none other than Baldur the Brave there with him. I guess Baldur is apologizing to Odin for all the things that have been going on in the past few issues when Baldur has been the ruler of Asgard. Sire, our kingdom was ransacked and brutalized by our enemies while I was in charge. The fault, the responsibility, is mine alone. Thou art blameless, gentle Balder, says Odin. As acting ruler, thou didst acquit thyself with honor and nobility. And he's thinking to himself, and yet I am sorely troubled. Why did Thor not assume command in my absence? Why did my son abandon his homeworld? And, and he is also struck with a wave of nausea, uh, like Thor was. And he goes, Org! And this alarms Balder, and Balder's like, my lord, what is it? What ails thee? Tis, tis only a momentary weakness, nothing more. Summon the Grand Vizier. I must speak with him at once. And he's thinking to himself, if what I fear is true, the threat to Asgard has not passed. 
The danger will grow with each passing moment until it overwhelms us all. And we shift to a different location in Asgard, and uh, we are in a hospital, uh, some sort of a medical center of sorts, and we have Asgardian surgeons with uh, with almost 20th century-looking surgical equipment, and they're performing some sort of uh, procedure on somebody we find out is Lorelei. And we have the Enchantress, and she is here with the Vizier, and uh, they're observing through a glass window. And she's like, Do something, Vizier. Help my sister. Save Lorelei. She is an innocent, a mere child who was brutally struck down when the Egyptian invaders ravaged our city. Our surgeons are doing everything in their power, Amora. It is not enough, says the Enchantress, and she goes running off. And the vizier's like, Amora, wait. No, no, I cannot bear to watch any more. What is happening to the world I once knew, the beliefs I once cherished? We are supposed to be gods, the lords of the heavens. Death is for lesser beings. Is there no hope for my sister? No way to save her? And a voice comes from behind, and uh, yeah, it says, There's a way, Amora, but the price is great. The sacrifice, terrible. That voice, it cannot be. And she turns around and it turns out to be the executioner, who, as we all know, is dead and is uh, living in hell. Greetings, Amora. Much have I missed you. Scourge, the executioner. But, but thou art dead. Aye. And we shift back to Earth into a sewer and we have two uh, superpowered creatures facing off against each other. One of them, of course, is Quicksand, our female Sandman. And the other is a, uh, it's, I believe it's an old Spider-Man villain, the Mongoose. And uh, the Mongoose is holding some sort of weird gadget, Kirby gadget, in, in his hand. And she's like, get to the point, Mongoose. Give me one good reason why we should join forces. Don't play coy with me, Quicksand. You know very well that we share a common enemy, the mighty Thor. He has apparently vanished from the face of this planet. Help me draw him out of hiding so that he can be punished for the way he humiliated us in the past. Only losers and psychos worry about revenge. I have other concerns, says Quicksand. And there's a bezap as um, the mongoose blasts her with uh, this little box gadget that he has in his hand. And he says... Yes, so I've heard. The people who employ me are quite inventive, and they could easily supply you with a device such as this. And it transforms her, and she looks like a regular person again. Uh, she's wearing a weird outfit, and which doesn't really reflect her costume as, as quicksand. But anyway, so it looks like uh, she is a uh, an Asian woman. And she says, I, I don't believe it. I'm human again. Flesh and blood. I'm no longer a freak, a monster. And the mongoose, uh, being the racist he is, says, Interesting. I had no idea that you were an oriental. She says, There is much about me that is unknown. Wait, something is happening. No, no, I'm starting to change again. Stop it, please. Don't let it happen. I am afraid there is nothing I can do this time. And she is changing back to quicksand as this is going on. And her hair gets much, much longer as quicksand, which is very strange. But I am certain that my people can develop a permanent cure if you agree to help us. And the caption says, for a single searing instant, quicksand glares at the man before her, her eyes burning with hatred. And then she turns and she says, all right, 
I will do as you ask. Excellent. I shall enjoy working with you. Don't push it, scuzzball, says Quicksand. And uh, she goes stalking off through the sewer, leaving the mongoose there. Somebody is hiding behind this little corner here. And we see, looks like somebody who is wearing this weird sort of silver armor. He's got a big round head and like a helmet. And anyway, the person, whoever it is, says, That woman appears to be highly unstable. Can she be trusted? No, of course not, says Mongoose, but she will obey us. She has no choice in that regard. Her unique physiology bears further study. The master may wish to conduct a vivisection on her when he returns, and this uh, person's putting on a helmet. Have you received any word from the master, says Mongoose? No, but that need not concern us. We have our orders. We must secure tissue samples from the Thunder God, samples which shall be used as seeds to raise a new race of immortals, gods who will serve us. And we shift scenes once again, and we have Thorne. He is arriving at a construction site, uh, to meet up, I guess, with people. And uh, he's landing, and he's like thinking to himself, there's the construction site I want. I may not have a dwelling of mine own, but I have a good friend who will gladly help me until I can be settled. No prying eyes can observe me behind this wall. The time has come for me to strike my enchanted hammer upon the ground and resume my mortal guise of... And he does that, and we see him change, and he wanders into the office, and it is... Uh, yeah, I guess, though, I forget the guy's name. <laughs> Jerry Sapristi, I think, uh, is, is the guy's name. Anyway, uh, so he lands, and he walks in, and they notice him, and they go, Sigurd Jarlson, where have you been the last few weeks? I, uh, went home for the holidays, says Sigurd. Must have been some trip. It was, says Sigurd. And he's thinking to himself, Jerry Sapristi knows that I am really Thor, and will give him the details later. You remember Eric Masterson and his son? Yeah, so we have Eric Masterson here. I think this is the guy from the uh, splash page. Hey, you're the guy who never lies, says the little kid. And the little kid is wearing a uh, Thor helmet, and he's carrying his own little version of Mjolnir himself. And uh, Sigurd is like, hi, Kevin. What's with the Thor helmet and hammer? I thought you liked Captain America. That was before Thor saved my dad's life, twice. Really? Yeah, and he even took him to a hospital. And saved a nuclear reactor. And a voice comes from beyond as this happy scene is happening. And the voice, Sapristi, I'm coming for you. And Sapristi's like, what the? Masterson says, Kevin, get back. Get back. And it's a uh, typical sort of New York City construction worker type. And he, he's whipping a, a chain around. And uh, he comes bursting in. He's like, you're dead, Sapristi. Dead. Nobody makes a fool of brute Benhurst and lives to joke about it. And uh, Masterson is there, and he's got like a golf club or something in his hand, and he's he's swinging, and he, he says, uh, "Benhurst, get a hold of yourself. You're drunk, acting crazy." And uh, he goes thwack with the, the chain, and he knocks Masterson aside, and uh, knocks uh, knocks him out. And he's like, shut up, Masterson. That's the same lousy excuse a Pristy used to fire me. And my wife used to leave me. It don't mean spit. And Thor Sigurd is, is guarding uh, um, Eric Masterson. And uh, uh, he, uh, he's, he's encroaching on him. And he's swinging this chain around. He's like, move it, Blondie. Out of my way or you get splatted. 
No, not today, says Jarlson, and he confronts him, and the, uh, the chain hits his arm and whaps around it with a thap, and he's like, not any day. That's impossible. That chain should have snapped your arm like a dried twig. You sound disappointed that it didn't, says Sigurd, and he does a judo throw, very kind of Kirby-ish Captain America-type judo throw. Um, You'll need a new perspective on violence. Try this one, and flips him down, and then uh, this guy is like, aye, and uh, he's holding him down to the ground, and eventually the cops arrive, says a few minutes later. Ease up, fella. We'll take over now, says the cops. I trust this lesson wasn't too painful, Mr. Benhurst. And Benhurst is like, Ugh. And Sapristi is helping uh, Eric Masterson up off the, off the ground. And he's like, and he says, uh, you okay, Eric? Yeah, I think so. Did you see Sigurd in action? There's more to him than meets the eye. Yeah, you could say that, says Sapristi. <laughs> and uh, the, the cops are coming to take uh, this guy away. And they're like, move it, Busta. We got a nice cozy cell waiting for you downtown. You haven't heard the last of this, Blondie. Brute Benhurst never forgets an enemy. I'll be back. Count on it. And we see he's got a really heavily scarred face, like uh, like really bad acne or something. And uh, the cop's like, pipe down, wise guy. You aren't making it any easier on yourself. And uh, we shift to uh, a little ways away in another alleyway, and we have quicksand, and she's standing here, and, and she's thinking to herself, my destination is across the street. But what are the police doing there? Is it a trap? Have I been betrayed? And they, she sees the cops are leaving with Ben Hurst, and it's like, no, they're leaving. Good. And she starts to ooze over there as a, like a trail of sand. And we shift scenes, and we are back in Asgard, and we have uh, the Enchantress and the Executioner. She's talking about uh, an unseen person here. She's coming, coming to take my sister. Stop her, Scourge. Use your strength, your power. Fight her. Don't let her harm Lorelei. It is no use, Amora. None can defeat Hela, goddess of death. And we see Hela here. And she's got a different type of weird headdress here. It's not the normal, normal antlers. It's sort of an, it's, well, it's kind of like the normal antlers, but it, more, it looks more, more bug-like. Uh, it's not really like the traditional antlers. But anyway, it's a big headdress anyway. Now that she has arrived, a soul must be claimed. A life must be lost. But you said you promised that Lorelai could be saved. There is a way, says the executioner, if another takes her place. You mean? I, Kamamora, take my hand. Join me and the honored dead in Valhalla. With this one act of total love and unselfishness, you can redeem your entire misspent life. This is your one opportunity. This is our one chance. Our only opportunity to be together, united for eternity. I love you, Amora. I have always loved you. Come with me. And she pulls away from uh, the executioner, and she's like, No! No, I cannot! Hela is kind of gesturing towards Lorelei, and we see Lorelei's spirit kind of coming up out of the body. Then the time hath come for Hela to claim her own. And uh, Enchantress is like, Lorelei, I, I am sorry. I tried. I really tried. And Lorelei, uh, is, her ghost is being wrapped up in the cloak of, of Hela. And she says, I know, sister, for I too would have failed such a challenge. Fare thee well, Amora. My heart is thine. Fare thee well. And Hela disappears in a big poof of gray smoke. 
and they are gone. And the executioner now is really mad, and, and he's, he's kind of slamming the, the floor with his, uh, his axe, and he's like, eternal happiness was within your grasp. You rejected it, Amora, and you spurned me. I have waited too long for you. I'll wait no longer. And he starts to fade away. Uh, well, he is, not his axe. That's weird. Anyway, so uh, he's, he's fading away, and she's like, Forgive me, Scourge. I was weak, afraid. Please forgive me. My love for you was such as I can forgive even this. But how will you ever forgive yourself? And then we shift scenes, and we are back on Earth, back on the construction site, and uh, the Sapristi seems a little bit uh, shaken up, and Thor, you know, Thor, as Sigurd Jarlson, is, is going to take him home, and he's like, let me take you home, Jerry. You need to relax. This is my own fault. I never should have hired Benhurst, not with his reputation for trouble. You were always a soft touch, says Masterson. And there's a giant car rash coming from off panel, and they all wheel around. And um, Sapristi is like, what was that? Oh, no, thinks Sigurd. What is she doing here? And it is, of course, it is quicksand, and, and she's kind of attacking everybody here. Back, all of you. No one can withstand the incredible power of quicksand. And she goes, thwam. And uh, she's just generally wrecking havoc and her uh, tentacle hair and you know, throwing all the construction workers around because, you know, she somehow knows that Thor is nearby. And she's thinking to herself, this ought to draw Thor out of hiding with a vengeance. Mongoose first fought the Thunder God on this very construction site. According to his research, Goldilocks has a few friends here. And there's one of them now. And she focuses in on Jerry Sapristi and reaches out for him with her giant sandy hand. And she says, Jerry Sapristi, you're coming with me. I don't believe this. Since when have I missed the popularity? And we shift scenes back to Asgard, and we are in Odin's throne room. Odin is here, and he has changed clothes. Take a drink. And the uh, the, the vizier is here as well. They're t having a heated conversation. We get a few direct swipes from prior issues here, uh, particularly of Odin. Very strange that I'm recognizing. That, you know, it's like it's like Friends is just doing swipes in this issue for, for all the Asgard stuff. But anyway, um, so Odin is there on his throne and he's kind of, you know, head in hand. And he's like, the Thunder God must return at once. The rigors of my recent trials and adversities have left me in a dangerously weakened state. If I am to regain my strength, I must undergo the fateful Odin sleep. Asgard cannot be unprotected in my absence. And the vizier says, but, sire, thy son is on the mortal plane, and we cannot reach him now that the Rainbow Bridge is no more. Take thee what little Odin power remains, and transcend time and space until you hast found my errant son. And he makes a motion with his hand, and the energy is crackling around him. And we see uh, Sigurd, and he's back in the alleyway again, and he uh, is banging his hammer on the ground to change into Thor to fight uh, the quicksand. Anyway... Uh, and it says here, continuing on with Odin's thought here, Our realm was recently overrun by savage forces, and our people desperately need the inspiration that can only be provided by their noblest champion, the mighty Thor. And we are back in the fight here as Quicksand is encroaching on uh, the Thor's friends here. And she's thinking to herself, Where is Thor? Why doesn't he show himself? If I don't help Mongoose find him, I may be forced to spend the rest of my life in this hideous body. 
and uh, all of a sudden a hammer comes whipping by and it says here, suddenly, as if an answer to quicksand, Sion summons a massive hammer, abruptly blocks her path. He's here, she says out loud. And uh, the, they say, uh, the little kid, uh, whatever his name is, is, is smiling really big here. Everyone else is kind of looking scared uh, you know, because quicksand was going to attack them. It's about time, Goldilocks. I was beginning to think that you'd lost your nerve and were afraid to face me. Do not speak to me of courage, woman, says Thor, you who attack helpless civilians. And the hammer turns to his hand, and he is kind of reeling back to uh, whap her. Stand fast, woman, I am warning you. No innocent shall come to harm while mine enchanted hammer can still be raised in their defense. It'll take a lot more than mere words to stop me, buster. And she uh, is struck by Thor's hammer, um, and she seizes it somehow uh she's kind of it's like glued to her um it says here uh, i've learned a few tricks since our last encounter blondie your mallet now belongs to me it says as then even as the thunder god struggles to free his enchanted weapon another wave of nausea sweeps over him my head is suddenly spinning he thinks can't concentrate and there's just enough to distract him for quicksand to hit him right in the face with a big quam knocking him back and uh she's like you look a little woozy pal maybe this will help straighten you out and he goes flying across uh, the street certainly across the street and says stunned by the senses shattering force of quicksand's high impact blow the mighty thor is sent hurtling skyward sailing into a nearby abandoned building which was recently slated for demolition and there's a big kaboom as he hits the building and it appears to collapse on top of him and the caption says for a seemingly eternal instant silence reigns then the massive chunks of debris hesitantly begin to shake tons of mortar and cement slowly begin to shift and a heroic figure rises to his feet, of course, is Thor. And that, at exact moment, a pair of glowing eyes appear above Thor's head, and uh, it's, a, of course, the vizier. Thou art needed on Asgard. Return at once. And Thor is thinking to himself, a summons from Asgard, but I cannot obey it while lives are in jeopardy. No, I cannot leave now, says Thor out loud. But thy father commands. I have no choice. My duty is here, says Thor, and he goes off back towards the fight with Quicksand. And uh, we see the Vizier um, kind of watching through the Cosmic Voyeuroscope. And he's got some sort of weird joystick. So, I don't, yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on. But anyway, he says, Never would I have thought this possible. Thor has chosen Earth above Asgard. He hath ignored an Imperial summons. How can I find the words to tell his loving father of such base betrayal? How can I break Odin's heart? And we shift scenes, and we are in Heimdall's house, apparently. I don't remember what the deal was with Heimdall and the Enchantress. I think they were they kind of had a thing going, didn't they? But anyway, uh, so uh, she's in Heimdall's house, and it looks like uh, she's carrying uh, the executioner's axe with her. And uh, she's thinking to herself, Heimdall sleeps the sleep of the just, and it is taking all my enchantments, all my sorcerous skill to mask my presence from him. Oh, okay, so she's breaking into his house. Farewell, my brave warrior. The love which might have been can be no more, and she leans over and kisses him in the forehead. I fear that I must leave this fabled land. A great darkness has fallen across us, the eternal darkness of death. 
Today I viewed my own mortality and liked it not. I must find a champion, a warrior who will willingly sacrifice himself when my time comes. And I could never ask that of you, she says. The enchantress must live. The enchantress will live, even if the cost must be her everlasting soul. And I'm really not sure what she's doing here other than kissing him. Whatever, maybe that's enough reason. And she changes into a giant light bulb, sort of. <laughs> that's what it looks like. And she teleports away. And we have next issue, all-out action in the mighty Marvel manner. Thor versus Quicksand, Thor versus the Executioner, and Thor faces the wrath of Odin. But that's not all, because we have a Tales of Asgard tale to cover. Woo! Okay, so this little tale of Asgard we have here, um, it is called... The Golden Hair of Glimda. Oh, I think I see where this is going. <laughs> anyway, here's the credits. Tom DeFalco was the writer. Tom Morgan was the artist. Michael Heisler was the letterer. Evelyn Stein was the colorist. And Ralph Macchio was the editor. I can already predict what's going to happen here. But anyway, uh, we have the warrior goddesses of Asgard are renowned throughout the heavens for their stunning beauty. But there was one enchanting maiden who eclipsed all the others. And we see... A very Lorelei-looking goddess uh, with, with very, very long red hair um, and uh, very looking very Buscema-y here. And everybody is standing around looking at her and admiring her. And in the background, we have young Thor and young Loki looking at her, too. And one of the gods who uh, he's wearing an outfit and a, a helmet similar to Balder, but it's not him. He says to her, Glimda. Thy loveliness is as dazzling as the first flower of spring. And thy words are as sweet as a baby's kiss, says Glimda. And uh, so Glimda is wearing this sort of 70s Buscema sort of bikini dress and a sort of an Egyptian collar, you know, like a gold Egyptian type collar. And they, she, she looks a lot like a cross between Lorelei and the Enchantress. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would be content to saying it's Lorelei, but that's not what happens. All right, uh, there's a young young girl or a very short uh, goddess uh, standing by, and she's thinking to herself, her hair flows and ripples about her like the sparkling surface of a mountain stream. And there's a guy in the foreground uh, eating an apple, and uh, he says, "'Tis truly a vision who walks among us. And we cut to Thor and Loki, who are standing watching, and Thor says, Glimda is such a gentle soul, Loki. I hear that she is as kind and caring as she is breathtaking. Bah, I've seen better, Thor. Beauties who make her look like an old hag. And he's thinking to himself, everyone makes such a fuss over Glimda, but I shall soon fix that. And we cut to Thor's bedroom later that night, and... Uh, Thor wakes up hearing footsteps and I guess he and Loki share a room uh, because, you know, all teenagers share a room with their their evil half-brother. Anyway, so he wakes up and he's like, something is amiss. Loki is not in his bed. Where could he be at this late hour? And we have uh, Loki encroaching upon Glimda in her chambers and there's a, a a candle, lit candle, uh, making some sort of a smoke in front of Glimda. And uh, so apparently Loki put it there because he's thinking to himself, the fumes from my enchanted candle will keep Glimda asleep until I have finished my dark deed. I am the handsomest god of all. No longer will she be showered with compliments which are rightfully mine. 
And we then shift to her waking up and looking in the mirror and uh, her long red hair has been cut off. And she looks a lot like uh, Rachel Summers from the (laughs) X-Men who was Phoenix in her her hound haircut, really, really short haircut. And and she looks in the mirror and she goes, my hair, my beautiful hair. And we have people out on the street and they're, you know, they're all abuzz about what's happened. Hast thou heard what has befallen for Glimda? Tis terrible. Who can commit an act of such wanton cruelty? There is only one whose heart is so cold, so full of evil. And we shift to Odin's throne room, and Odin has uh, Thor and Loki before him. And Odin's like, Loki, thou hast finally gone too far. Thy punishment for this dreadful deed shall be swift and brutal. And Thor steps in, and he's like, Father, wait. Though my brother truly deserves thy wrath, I am certain that he did not intend to cause Glimda such pain, such anguish. Now that he must surely understand the enormity of his crime, please allow him the opportunity to undo this terrible injustice. And so Odin sends the bubble both off, and he says, So be it, Loki. I shall give thee until nightfall to make amends for the great harm thou hast done. And uh, sends uh, both uh, Thor and Loki off. And Loki is saying, I could have tricked Odin into forgiving me if thou had not interfered. What could we do now? How can we possibly restore Glimda's hair? Be silent, Loki, and follow me, says Thor. I have a plan. And they go into this underground cavern. And I like how uh, Thor has a, uh, he's wearing like a blue tea tunic and and it has a big T on the front. (laughs) Because you, you know, we we all wear our initials on our clothes, right? Why have you led me to this dismal underground cavern, says Loki? Because we must seek Nidavellir, the home of the dwarves. And all of a sudden, this dwarf jumps out in front of them, like Ooga Booga, and he says, You have found it, godling, but you may go no farther until I've learned why you have come. We're searching for the greatest smiths in Asgard, says Thor. Smiths who can spin gold as fine as hair, imbue it with enough magic so that it will grow on upon a woman's head. A simple task for the sons of Ivaldi, but what could we expect in return? The eternal gratitude of Thor, the son of Odin, and the friendship of the Asgardian gods. The, the, the uh, dwarf looks you know, all like sinister, sort of sneering, like, like he has an evil plan. And uh, Thor takes off his belt, which actually looks a lot like the belt he wears in the comics, the sort of a gold belt with a T on the front. And he says, uh, my own belt, a gift from the Allfather himself can serve as the source for the gold. And it says here that uh, for a long tense moment, the dwarf is silent. And then we shall do as you ask, young prince. Methinks a warrior as poised and as noble as yourself can someday prove a valued friend. And so they melt the belt down and Loki is not looking too happy about this. But uh, so uh, you know, they're melting it down and they're making this uh, hair out of it. And we shift scenes back to Asgard. And we have uh, everybody in the the public square of Asgard. And here's Glimda. And her hair is restored. And it's all shiny and and red, which, of course, gold is, yeah, not red. But anyway, uh, so she's saying, I love my new hair, the way it shimmers and shines. Truly, thou art now the most striking goddess of all, says Odin. From henceforth thou shalt be known throughout the realm eternal as Glimda of the Golden Hair. And uh, Odin leans over to uh, to Loki and he says, Loki, 
Since thou hast earned Glinda's forgiveness, thou shalt not be punished. I only hope that thou hast learned much from this incident. Much indeed, father, says Loki. Thy brother has done well, Thor, but I see not the belt that I gave thee. I uh, must have misplaced it, sire, says Thor. Its carelessness should not go unpunished, but methinks an exception should be made in this case. Come, we shall have the smiths fire the furnace and fashion thee a marvellous new belt of gold. And uh, he, he leads Thor off, and Thor's uh, happy and smiling, and Loki is in the back looking miserable as always. And he thinks to himself, Bah, Odin must know the truth. Blast Thor! I could have solved this problem without his stupid interference. I hate him more than ever, and someday I shall have my revenge. The end, and that is The Mighty Thor, number 402, and we'll be talking all about this issue right after this message. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? Uh, Doc Samson. Who's Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back to talk about the issue as we always are. So uh, let's start out with this backup story because I think I have less to say about this. Again, this this really strikes me as a um, a tryout story. So this is obviously a, a you know newish penciler. Uh, you know the story itself is is just a retelling of the the tale of Sif's hair being cut off, and this is not canon within even the Marvel universe anymore uh, because we now have the you know the, from the Loki miniseries the story of of Sif and her hair. So yeah, so this is really just they're repurposing this because you know they can't really use it in the mainstream Marvel universe because in that universe Sif has dark hair. And here we have Sif with golden hair, even though the original mythology, it's supposed to be Sif who has the golden hair. Yeah. So I think everybody understands what's going on here. Uh, the story is well enough told. I think, you know, it's obviously, it's Tom DeFalco writing it. So that's okay. We've got a professional writing it this time. Um, the artwork is interesting. Um, it's not bad. It's, uh, but I don't know that it's quite up to, you know, pro standards as, as the case may be. But the... Um, uh, overall, it looks pretty good. Uh, you know, all the gods look very John Buscema-ish for the most part. Not very, not very Kirby-ish anyway. And there are some some points in here that almost, almost, uh, you know, Sal Buscema as well. Uh, obviously, that they have uh, a little bit of um, influence from there. We have uh, inking that reminds me a lot of Claus Johnson, but. I don't know whether or not it is, but yeah, uh, there are some good shots here of people and you know, like the close up of the dwarf's face as he sneers is, yeah, that's pretty good. But the artist does have some problem with faces and keeping the faces in, uh, in proportion to the hair. So the, the characters do have this sort of weird thing going on where their faces kind of get bigger or smaller but their hair remains at the same size. It's, it's kind of a weird, yeah, weird way of doing it. Um, 
but I think overall it's good. I like the little horns on Loki here. Uh, you know, remember we had the the origin of Loki basically in the Tales of Asgard strip a long time ago, and we had a little baby Loki with his little evil baby horns. They they kind of continued that on here, and we have the little curly horns on uh, Loki's head uh, as uh, you know. Loki and Thor are out doing their thing. So, yeah, I don't have a lot else to say about this Tales of Asgard backup other than, you know, it's not a very original idea. It's not canon, certainly, and it appears to be a tryout and for whatever reason it's here. The main part of the book, which is the quicksand story, um, it appears to be a rush job. I'm not just saying that because there's a lot of, of stealing going on here from old Jack Kirby comics. It does seem to be rather rushed. If I didn't know better, I would say that, that it was Al Milgram inking this because of the way the line work is. But it, it's apparent from the credits themselves that that Friends just did a basic layout and then all the finishes were done by Joe Sinnott. That's not a problem. Joe Sinnott is a fine artist in his own right. It, he's always one of those uh, inkers who, obviously one of the great inkers of all time, but he is a talented artist in his own right. And I am disappointed to some degree that he didn't draw more comics on his own as opposed to uh, just being you know, an inker for, for other people. But uh, by and large, the, the art is pretty good. Uh, everyone is very consistent. Uh, I, there, you can see a lot of the pages have ripped off Kirby layouts. Not all of them, but the larger pictures do. I'm obviously not going to go back and look uh, at, and see where they made these steals from, but there, there's a lot of very obvious ones here. Uh, the scenes with the Executioner and the Enchantress, those seem to be more original and that's more definitely friends working in a Kirby-ish style as opposed to just outright cribbing of Kirby. But there are a lot of ripoffs, and, and especially in the faces and poses of, of the Enchantress. Not so much the Executioner, but I don't think that Kirby drew the Executioner all that much. So that could be a problem. I think that he may have only drawn the Executioner in his first couple of appearances because he was more of a of an Avengers villain and you had people like Don Heck drawing him in, in the Avengers comic. But you can take the sort of generic Kirby female face and, and easily make that into, uh, into a character like Quicksand. Um, I have a feeling that this brute Ben Hurst is going to be back. I don't know if I'm looking forward to that because he's not a very interesting character, especially for a character that's taken up, you know, the first third of the book, basically. Yeah, it's, it's not a um, so I'm, I'm assuming that he becomes some sort of major supervillain in the next couple of issues. Uh, overall, it, it's a, not a bad issue. It's, it's nothing special, but it's also not horrible. Um, we do have the, the death of Lorelei going off to hell. I don't think that sticks, but I guess we'll find out. But, you know, people go in and out of death all the time in comics. And I guess, you know, why should Lorelei be any different? Uh, speaking of Lorelei, and this is kind of off topic, I've been watching episodes of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, she apparently had a uh, appearance there. And I just saw the teaser for it. And I haven't, I haven't proceeded any further since that time. So an interesting choice to come into the uh, the MCU slash Marvel television universe, whether that still really counts or not. All right, so with that, I think it's time to wrap up the show. Hey, once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you want to email us, you can do so. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. You can also join the Facebook group. Just look for Radio Free Asgard there, and you will find us. And with that, 
I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends, if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard. <laughs>